Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, we've been looking at um, praying for revival the last several weeks, and I'm going to, that's still our general direction, but I want to look at how, how that plays out in believers and in a church, because Jesus has been very specific about how our lives should be, and our lives should, um, our individual lives should look the same as our corporate life. It just should be multiplied when we come together corporately. Last week we, we looked at, well, our kind of our, our foundation scripture is, is we've looked at Acts 4. Peter and John were arrested after the healing of the lame man. The Sanhedrin pulled them in, realized these were unlearned men, but they, it was obvious they had been with Jesus. And they were walking in an anointing and walking in power and they were fearful that they were going to lose their influence, the Sanhedrin. So they commanded them, don't go preach in the name of Jesus. That was a flat command. And if you do, the implied thing was there's going to be, there will be consequences if you do. And when they returned to their company, basically the response of the church was, Lord, make us even bolder. Which is kind of in your face. They've told us we can't do this. Well, we're going in harder than ever. We're going to declare Jesus, what he did, who he is, and we're going to, and, and, they, and they very clearly said, we want you to, to help us be bolder by confirming through signs and wonders and healings and miracles. They said, Lord, and basically if you want to summarize up their prayer was, we can't do this on our own. We need you, and we need your power, and you're going to have to come through. We're going to go do our part, but we need you to be right there to do your part. Now, this is in, that was in Acts 4. In, in Acts chapter 1, when before the day of Pentecost, we saw that the, the disciples, they're talking to Jesus, and basically they're ready for the, the millennial reign. You have to remember, they, they had a pretty clear eschatology. They knew that the Messiah was coming. It was any time now. That's why they were, were looking for a Messiah. And, but in their theology, in the Jewish belief, when you go back and read all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, you will see verses and, and you will go from a trait of the first coming of Jesus and in the latter part of the verse you'll see a, a uh, manifestation of, the, of Jesus during the millennial reign or during the tribulation, and there's nothing between them because they had no idea. The church age, the age we live in, was a total mystery. God hid it from everyone because he had a, a plan, and the plan was for Jesus to come, live the perfect life, die the perfect death, conquer death, conquer hell, conquer all of the power of the enemy, come back out, and I'm going to send out my church. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to empower human beings. I'm going to recreate them and make them just like me. That's why it said <clears throat> that when Paul preached, uh, where Barnabas, Barnabas took him, and the, the name of the city now has left me, 
but it says they were there first called Christians. That term literally means little Christs because they were manifesting the, the acts and the power that Jesus manifested because they were filled with his spirit, they had his anointing, and they were walking it out. And <clears throat> But in Acts chapter 1, they didn't know about that. And they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you, we understand you had to die now, but you conquered death, you conquered hell, you've, you've risen. Why are the Romans still here? Well, I don't understand. I thought we were going into a thousand-year reign where you're going to reign on earth. And he said, guys, this is the Robert's paraphrase, guys, don't try to figure it out. It's, it's beyond your scope of imagination right now. Just go back to Jerusalem, sit down, do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. And what they do? They went to Jerusalem, they sat down, they started having committee meetings. People have not changed since Adam and Eve in the fall. But then, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit did come. And we saw that in the first four verses. The Holy Spirit came, he manifested, it said, uh, they had tongues like unto fire that divided on, on different people. Meaning that, that no one in the earth, and that's true for them, it's true for us, no one in the earth is walking in the fullness of the anointing that Jesus walked in. Because none of us could handle the anointing that he has had because none of us live as pure a life as he led. But collectively, the church has the same anointing that Jesus does. Each of us have a portion of his anointing to complete the task that he has given each one of us. And the bigger your task, the bigger your, put it in human terms, the bigger your task, the bigger your budget. If you work for a company and, and your task is sorting um, these things into five different kinds of buckets, you're probably not going to have a budget. You're just going to have a workstation and here's your supply, here's where you sort them, and you do your job. If you're a senior vice president and you're supervising a couple of thousand people, you probably got some authority and you've got a budget and you've got some power behind you. And when you say to someone, go do this, they go do it. Church is no different. You have different people, have different tasks and different assignments, and the different tasks and the different assignments require more of an anointing than, uh, than, than other people do. Now, don't mistake that and think, well... You know, I'm not as valuable as someone with a greater anointing. Oh, it, value has nothing to do with it. I, I, I saw this little um, thing on Facebook this morning. Um, it was a picture of two quarters. And one brand new shiny, one was dirty and, and you know, nearly wore out. They're both worth 25 cents. You take two $100 bills, one crisp and new, one... Next time it goes through the Federal Reserve, it's going to get pulled out and chopped up because it's wore out. They're still both worth 100 bucks. Your value does not come from the anointing you carry or the task that Jesus has assigned you. Your value comes from who Jesus made you. 
And he values you as much as he values anyone. That's why Paul went through long, excruciatingly long links in Corinthians to saying, look, when you look at the body, you can't say, oh, I'm an eye and you're just an ear. Where would the eye go if he couldn't hear? Where, and, and if you want to you, fully understand it, um, think about your toes. Most of us don't really expose our feet too often. My wife has been on me for years. You need to go get a, a pedicure with me. Let them work on your feet. And it's like, ain't no way. I'm sorry, honey. You go. You love it. I know you do. Go do that stuff. But my, my shoes and socks ain't coming, out, coming off in public. Nobody's going to see that. But I do remember a day. Now, in, in high school, I lifeguarded all through high school and through most of my college. So I ran around barefoot all the time at the pool. Last day of, of, of the pool being open, we didn't have a big crowd, just a few people, and I was playing with some kids, like I usually whistled them down and told them they couldn't play. And I was chasing this little kid, and they just stopped dead in their tracks, and my foot kept going, and my toes went between, my big toe went on one side of their Achilles tendon and my next toe went on the other side of their Achilles tendon and that big toe made a 90 degree turn right through that knuckle. I mean, snap, pop, it was 90 degrees. And being, you know, I wasn't thinking, I reached down, saw my toe, I reached down, jerked it back out straight. Didn't hurt a bit. I was still, it was still numb. I was still in shock from it. But let me tell you, I was on crutches, I hobbled, I hurt. It was months before I could walk normal. Just from one little bitty broken toe. And my whole body said, mm, you're not functioning. We, we, we're not doing normal stuff. Just from one little toe that got broken. The body of Christ is no different. When we don't function in our place and do what God's called us to do, the body of Christ hurts. It can't do. And I've heard people say, well, you know, if I don't do this, God, God will bring somebody else around. Well, sure he will. He's going to get the job done. But you're not going to be a part of it. I won't charge extra for that. That's just a little side journey. Point is, from that, Find out what God wants you to do, and there's only one way you can find that out. Seek Him. Ask Him. Pray. Pray, pray, and when you think you prayed enough, pray some more. And keep praying until you just know, this is, what, this is my task in life. This is, my, this, is what God's, this is why God made me the way He made me. And I'm going to follow it. I don't care the cost. That, when, you, when you do that, then you, we're like the early church. But we saw this, and I want to I go through this in particular today. In Acts chapter 2, the very first thing that happened after the Holy Spirit fell is Peter got up and, and preached. And it wasn't just Peter. If you look at, at Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven. So Peter wasn't alone. He had the other apostles with him. Raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. 
For these are not drunk. Everybody saw these guys. They were speaking in other tongues. They were hearing. The, the, there were two miracles going on. People were speaking languages they didn't know. Some of them were speaking heavenly languages that they had never been given. But people were hearing languages that sometimes weren't even being spoken. God was doing an interpretation in the middle between the words and the hearer. So it, this, was a, this was an unbelievable miracle. But the doubters said, oh, they're just, you just got a bunch of drunks. That's all that this is. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this was what it was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he preaches out of Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. So this tells us, that verse right there tells us that when Peter preached this, they were in the last days, 2,000 years ago. It was the last days then. We're 2,000 years closer to the last of the last days. Now, does that mean in the next five years things are going to get wrapped up? I hope. I sincerely hope so. But I don't know. It could be another 100 years. It could be another 1,000 years. We could have another millennial ahead of us. I don't know. Nobody knows except the Father. It says, but it shall come to pass in and you could translate these last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God makes his first promise right there. He did it through the prophet Joel. And Peter is saying, this is what's happening right here. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That happened then, it's happening today. We are still in the church age. There's a whole, a whole belief system built in, in Christianity called secessionism. And basically, secessionism means that when the last apostle died, which was the apostle John, when John died, all the miracles ceased, and God doesn't do now what he did in the book of Acts. I, I think Joel would argue with him. He says, in the last days, we're still in the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Well, we're still in the last days, we're still in the church age, and he's still pouring out his spirit because we still have a job to do, and we cannot do it without his anointing. But notice how, how, how this spirit is going to manifest himself. It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice, there, <clears throat> there is no difference right there between male and female. Paul will, will, will expand on this later in, in Ephesians and I forget the other place where he, he says quite clearly, in Christ there's neither male nor female, there's either, neither barbarian or Scythian, there's neither rich nor poor. Basically, in Christ, all the divisions are gone. Doesn't matter whether you're old or young. Doesn't matter whether you're tall or, or short. Doesn't matter whether you're fat or you're skinny. Doesn't mean whether you're good looking or ugly. Doesn't matter whether you're well-educated and sophisticated or you're ignorant and not very sophisticated. Makes no difference. God chooses people. But what does he choose us to do? It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I love that verse, that word right there. That, the, the word prophesy there is made up of two Greek words. One is pro, which means beforehand. The, the prologue of a, of a book is what comes before the book actually starts. It means before anything else, this is going to happen. So this prophecy is happening before 
whatever it is that they're, they're going to talk about. The, the second Greek word there that compounds with pro is phamy. And it literally means to speak. So to prophesy means to speak before. It means to declare something is going to happen before it happens. When I see that, that word, and I, see, I look at that definition immediately, I go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. I'm declaring this is going to be before I see this in the natural. Now the really interesting part, though, is the word "fami" there that means literally everywhere it's translated, it means to speak or to say, to verbalize something. If you trace its root back, its root means to bring light to something. It's like walking in a dark house and you turn a light bulb on and suddenly you can see, you can look around and things are, oh, now, now I see how this is. I kind of had a vision of what I thought this would look like, but with the light on, it's much clearer. You want to get a revelation if, if you drive around town and you drive around in your neighborhoods and you think you know where everything's related and then somebody that owns a plane, a small plane, says, hey, let's go flying and you get up a couple of thousand feet and you find your house and you see this and that and you realize, wow, those are not situated. It's a different viewpoint and things don't look the same from up here as they did from down there. That's what prophecy does. Prophecy is you, and, and when it says they shall prophesy, it does not mean necessarily that, that I'm making things up and I'm going to declare something and, and, and God's obligated to, to bring into existence whatever I say. No, prophecy has to be tied very closely to the Word. You find a scripture that meets a need that you have and you start meeting the, the, the conditions because some, a lot of the promises that are in the New Testament are conditional promises. God says, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Well, you've got to meet that condition if it's a conditional promise. But if you start meeting that condition and then you start declaring, Lord, I've done what you said here. I believe that this will happen. It's going to happen. You believe that you receive before you see it. It's what uh, Mark 11, 26, 23 through 26 is all about. You speak to the mountain, and the mountain shall be removed. You have a verse from the Bible. You have a promise from God that this mountain cannot oppose you. And you start declaring before the mountain's gone, that mountain's moving. Watch it. It's going to get out of the way. And you put your faith on it, you put your faith on the scripture that God gave you, and watch that thing. It'll start to crack, it'll start to, to crumble, and eventually it'll, it'll move itself away. <clears throat> That's what it means here to prophesy. It means to bring light to whatever revelation you've had. Psalm 119, 130 says exactly that. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. When I get a revelation of a word... I get enlightened, I see things differently, and then I start declaring what's going to be, and the things that, that God says should be will start to be. Now, I guarantee you, the first time you do that, or the first few times, you're, you may get a little nervous, you may break out in a little sweat, you may say, I'm not sure I have the authority to do it. You have the authority if God says you have the authority. If God said, if you do X, I'll do Y, and you do X... If God doesn't do why, he's a liar. 
And he's not. So believe him. Meet the condition and then take it up. For a lot of the promises we have, the condition is that Jesus had to come. He had to live a sinless life. He had to die that perfect death. He had to go into hell and conquer it and take the keys of death and hell in his hand and, and control who goes and who comes and then ascend up and sit down on the throne. That was the condition. If that's the condition, it's met. We can believe him and start declaring that that's going to be true for me. If you have sickness in your body, the condition for your healing has been met. It was met when Jesus bore the stripes, when he conquered death and hell and sickness and disease and sin and came out of the grave. The condition was met, and all you got to do is start declaring, I'm well. Well, what if things don't change? Keep declaring. Keep pouring light on it. Keep pouring light on it. The same word that will plant a seed will water the seed. You don't know, you have no idea what, what the assault may be that you're under. You don't know if you're dealing with some little old tiny imp that has just almost no authority at all, or you're dealing with, with a, a, a prince of the air that's just barely under Satan, and he's tasked with destroying you before God can get you to the ministry that he wants to get you to. You have no idea what you're up against other than the chief demon that you would ever have to face is Satan himself, and he's defeated completely powerless except for one thing he can influence you to use your mouth against yourself i want to look at go back to this word prophecy i want to look at ephesians 5 i just want to want to read this ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 this is paul talking he says be imitators of god as dear children and walk in love Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Every Sunday we take our offering, we pray over it. You can, you can obey God in the tithe, you can give seed above the tithe, you can be the most generous giver in the world. If you're not following that command to walk in love, it's for naught. It's the only command. Jesus has given us two things to do as the church. The great command and the great commission. The great command, and I'm coming back to Ephesians, so don't lose your place there. The great command he quoted in, or Jesus spoke in Matthew 22. In verse 36, uh, the lawyers came to him. This was on Wednesday of Passion Week. And they came to him because the Sadducees and the Pharisees couldn't agree on which parts of the law were valid for the day. One group, and I don't remember which one's which now, but one group only believed in the Pentateuch, the first, or excuse me, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The other ones believe that, that, that the Torah and the prophets were all God speaking. So they wanted to test Jesus and say, let's ask him what he thinks the greatest commandment is. And maybe he'll tell us something that's not in the Torah. They both agreed the Torah was, was God. They just disagreed on the rest of it. So they came to him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5. And then and, um, 6.5 also adds, with, with all your strength. And then he went on, he said, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He uh, quoted the, the second part of Leviticus 19.18. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. John said, said something similar in um, 1 John. He said, <clears throat> you say you love God and hate your neighbor? 
You're a liar. Pretty strong words, especially for a prophet known for his love. If you say you love God, but you hate this person, or let's make it even more general, you act hateful towards this person, you're a liar. You don't love God. The love of God is manifested in loving people. You can't manifest loving God without loving folks. And, and where it gets hard is when, when it, in the case of, of, say, Jude, when you're, you're running up against people that are, are fouled with the sins of the world. And they stink. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you need that anointing from Acts chapter 2 to walk in love towards people. It's interesting, though, if you read around that, that the, the first commandment there was, was verse 5 out of Deuteronomy 6. But, but I want to read a few verses around this to give you a picture of what even the Jews, who were not born again, who did not have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them, what God was requiring out of them. In verse 1 of Deuteronomy 6, he says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Now keep in mind, in, 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 as an example to us, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. That's getting born again. We, be, we were slaves. We're no longer slaves. We've been baptized into Christ, but now we're in the wilderness. Now we have to confront temptation. <clears throat> the, the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went to the, to the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted. He didn't eat nor drink for 40 days. You cannot do that without a supernatural anointing. You can't go 40 days without water. A lot of us can go more than 40 days without food. But some of us have extra storage. Don't laugh. But without water? Mm-mm. Takes a direct intervention from God. Moses did it when he was up on the mountain. Jesus did it for 40 days in the wilderness. But he did it to prove that he was greater than his flesh. Now, his flesh wasn't corrupted like our flesh because he was born of a virgin. He wasn't born with the original sin of Adam. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. That's why the father had to be his father. He could not have a natural dad. If he'd had a natural dad, he would have been born with the nature of sin in his flesh. But he was not. But he still had to confront his flesh and conquer that flesh, even though that flesh had no sin nature. That ought to tell you how hard it is to conquer your flesh. Jesus' flesh had no sin nature, and he still had to conquer it. The devil had a right to come for 40 days and tempt him. He conquered it. But after that, then you come to the next body of water. You come to the Jordan River, and you've got to go into the land. You've got to possess the land because there's giants in that land. You're not done with your temptation just because you came out of the wilderness. Now, the, the, the sad part is most Christians, and I'll include myself in that for the most part, we're still wandering in the wilderness. But we haven't gotten serious enough to conquer our flesh so we can go in and start possessing the land. We can't go in and, and, and eat the, the grapes and drink the honey and, and walk in the blessings of God because we, we, we've never crossed over the Jordan. We've never said, God, this is, this is, you said this is mine. I'm going to take it. 
But God even told these people who were not redeemed. They had a promise of a Messiah to come. We look back and see that the Messiah has already come and already conquered all, all of our enemies. And he's given us his spirit, his anointing, and said, go walk in this. And he, he made these people able to walk in it without all of that. We do so, so little with, what, with so much. Well, let's read on. Verse 2. I'm, I'm, well, let me back up read verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commands which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Ezekiel, in two places in Ezekiel, Ezekiel makes a, a, a promise to the New Testament church and says there's a day coming when I will put a new spirit within you and I will, give, I will take out that heart of stone and I will put in a fleshly heart. These people were commanded to take those statutes and write them on their heart and Jesus has said, I've already written them on your heart. So this ought to be much easier for us to do. But notice verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. What in the world does all that mean? That means no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you ought to be talking the word. Quit talking the problem. Start talking the answer. Start prophesying. You are a son and a daughter that Joel was talking about. And he said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Despite what the, what the New Age people tell you, there are not 156 genders. There are only two, male and female, and Joel just covered both of them. You're either a son or a daughter, and you are commanded to prophesy. But you can't prophesy if you don't know the word. If you don't know the promise, you, it is, it, it's just ignorance. You can't say what you don't know. But he said, wherever you are, teach them to your children. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. That covers pretty much all of it. Put them as a sign on your hand, no matter what you're doing. When you're working with your hands, that's your life. That's your livelihood. Do everything as if you are doing it for Jesus. When, and it, when it says, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. No matter where you look, see the world through the glasses of the Word. I don't like that person. They were mean. The Word says, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Bless them, not curse them. Well, that's hard. You got a choice. Be courageous and pick the hard thing or be a coward and just don't try. That choice is before each, each and every one of us many times a day. Because what God's called us to do, your flesh is going to fight, and that requires effort and, and, and a lot of effort. 
It says, you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. When you come home, you ought to see the word. When you go out, you ought to see the word. It will be the last thing you see before you go out. That's what Jesus is saying. He said it in, in the Apostle John wrote it in John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. As a church, as the body of Christ, if we can't walk in love, we are failing in our mission. Because he says right there, by this, by that love walk. You go through and look at that in the Greek, every one of those instances where the English word love is, is the Greek word agape, which is the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that gives whether it's going to get anything back or not. You know, we, we, we've said this, I've heard it for years, and I've, I've actually said it a few times. If, I had, if you had been the only person that would have ever received Jesus, he still would have gone to the cross for you. That's a true statement. But you know what else is true? If no one would have received his gift, he still would have gone to the cross. Because that was his nature. He could not avoid the cross because his nature was to give and to sacrifice. And he did it as an act he knew. God knew has foreknowledge. But he also knew that every person had a right to reject that. To not accept that gift. And he did it anyway. He died for people that will never accept him and never accept his sacrifice. That's a tough thing to do. Now, back to, back to Joel, or excuse me, back to, to Ephesians. Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. When we imitate God, we do what Jesus did when he walked in love towards people. And drop down to verse 8. How can we do that? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Your nature changed when you got born again. You used to be darkness, now you are light. That's why when you speak, you speak light. When you prophesy, you declare what's going to be before it comes, because your nature is the nature of light. And if you're speaking out of your nature, especially if you keep, if you are smart, you tie your mouth to the word. And you learn, I can't say that. But I want to. I want to give them a piece of my mind. I don't have a lot left, so I'm not giving away what little I got. Then verse 13 and 14. He, he, he sums it up because he went through, um, he started in verse 8. You were, were once darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of the light. Your, how you walk ought to be reflective of who you really are. But in, in, he goes through how unbelievers walk, and sometimes Christians walk as unbelievers do. Just because you're a sheep does not mean that sometimes you don't go play in the pig pen. Because that's where you were raised, and sometimes it just feels comfortable. Same reason we talked about Lot. Year, a few weeks ago, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom because he was raised in Ur of the Chaldees. That's what he felt familiar with. And he missed his childhood. I don't know about you, but I missed my childhood. I told my dad about five years before he died. I said, Dad, I've been an adult for a while now. I'm tired of it. I'm coming back. I know if I live in your house, I've got to live by, by your rules. At 17, I refuse. I'm ready to do it now. 
And in his loving way, he said, nope, you're not welcome. You're a grown-up. Go be a grown-up. But, you know, and it, it, I was joking with him because it was at a particularly hard time in life. And I, j- I just looked back at my childhood and I thought, I just want to go back to those days where I didn't have to make decisions. I didn't have the responsibility to do anything. That was mom and dad. Mom and dad had the decision to make the, 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 to the responsibility to make those decisions. And I could just live carefree life. Well, you know, you can live that life when you turn your life over to him, to Jesus. He, let him be responsible for making the decisions and you just follow along him. Well, what if he asked me to do something hard? There again. You want to be brave and lead, lead the tough life, walk the narrow walk, or you want to be a coward and just walk the broad walk that's easy because you can just go with the flow. One requires courage, one does not. That's why great is the, the, the way to death. Narrow is the path to salvation. Why? Because you've got to listen to him. He has some requirements. Now, um, um, verse 13 and 14. This is Paul summing this up. But all things that are exposed are make, made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, I'm like every other, every other parent that's ever been. When you have little bitty ones and you go by their room at night, you peek in on them. The, what, what's the first thing most of us do? We watch the covers to see if it's going up and down. Make sure they're breathing. Well, that's kind of... Really? Anybody here that's never done that with their children? Why? Because people that are, 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 are fast asleep and deep sleep look a lot like people that are dead. There's only a slight difference. What, he, what Paul is saying here is you need to take the word that is light. You, you are light. You're no longer darkness. You need to take that light and let it expose the things in you that still represent darkness because you're sleepwalking. You're walking around like dead people. I'm telling you, wake up and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. If you will start walking in the light that He's given you, He will give you more light. And then when you walk in that light, He will give you more light. So what we looked at, uh, I don't remember now if I covered this on a Sunday morning or on Wednesday night during prayer, but, but 1 John 1, 9, and, and, and the passage is following. It says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and understanding, having a walk worthy of Him. And when you do that, then He will give you more understanding And he does all that so you can be fruitful and walk according to his will and have a walk that's pleasing to him. And when you do that, he gives you more light so you can walk in more fruit, so you will get more light, so you can walk in in more fruit, so you can get more light. And it's a spiral that just keeps going up and up and up. He gives you a light on something, you walk in and he says, hey, good job. I'll give you a little, another little task and give you a little stronger anointing, a little bit more light. And now you have more fruit. And then you get more light from that fruit. And you just, you, before you know it, you used to be walking around sleepwalking and suddenly you're wide awake. You're not acting like a dead man anymore. 
You know, on TV right now, probably the hottest genre of, of TV shows are the zombie movies. And it is a perfect description of our world today. The dead are walking around, acting like they're living, but all they want to do is eat those that are alive. We are alive. And the zombie world, the people that are dead, they haven't been born again, they'll, they'll, they'll eat you alive if they can. The difference is, in the movies, you got to shoot them in the head. What we have to do is speak into their hearts, shine light into their hearts until they realize, dear God, I'm dead. My body's rotten away. And then they can accept the gift from Christ, and suddenly they go from zombies to live people. And we convert them. That's our task. But we do that by walking in love. Let's go back to, to what Joel said in, in Acts chapter 2. We just read the, the last part of, um, or the, the middle of Joel 17. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So sons and daughters, male, female, doesn't matter. Young men, old men, doesn't matter. Younger men are going to have visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. He's, he's pouring his spirit out on everybody. And on my maid, men's servants and on my maid servants. It doesn't matter whether you're the boss or the employee. God doesn't care. He doesn't care what your station in life is. He doesn't care if you make hundreds of millions of dollars a year or you're scraping by on, on $10,000 a year having to live out of your car, you are still valuable and you still have a task to do. And then um, verse 18, On my men's servants, on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Just like the, the other groups, I want these groups to prophesy. Find out what the Word says and start speaking light into that situation until it changes. Keep shining a laser beam of the Word on that mountain until it dissolves. And then verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's saying right there, look, I am going to demonstrate my power. He gives some very specific references about what's going to happen at the very end. But the general truth is, if you are preaching the word, if you are prophesying, and that prophecy can be in your private time where you're speaking to a problem that's facing you, or it can be when you're with your friends or your acquaintances or you're at work, and you just say, hey, do, you, do you know what God did for me this week? Oh, my Lord, let me tell you. That's prophesying. That's shining light into their world. And you don't know, there may be somebody around the corner that you're not even talking to, but they hear part of your testimony. And it pricks their heart. And God starts working on them through something that you didn't even know you were talking to them. That's what prophecy is all about. It's talking about what God says. It's having the Word before you, whether you're working or lying down or getting up whether, no matter what you're doing, your whole focus is the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. It's the Word that Jesus gave us. And if we're not putting it to work, 
We're, we're, we're leaving the greatest asset we have. And then the end result is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word saved, we look at that and we say, that means people are going to get born again. Well, yes. But the same word is used to, be, to mean healed. When, when, when we read that verse earlier, where, where it said, and, and when, because you gave once and again, God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. That providing all that need is, is, comes from the word sozo, saved. Sozo will heal you. It will defend you. It will protect you. It will deliver you. And it will supply everything you ever need. All of that is wrapped up in God's salvation. Salvation isn't a sky in the pie by and by, but right now I just got to live like everybody else. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Well, the reality is you live in a rough and tumble world, and you're probably going to get some bruises and some, some get, you know, you're going to have to be involved in some fights, especially with the devil and with your own flesh. But you never lose until you quit. God has given you the victory. You just need to go in and possess the land. He said, it's already mine. You just go in and do what I tell you to do. Well, look at Jericho, Lord. Hi. Look at their walls. They're huge. They're thick. I can't, we can't fight through that. I didn't ask you to fight through it. Just march around it. And march around it every day and don't say a word. And on the seventh day, shout. and Blow the trumpet. And watch the walls come down. Really? That's all i got to do? Yeah. Just do what God tells you to do. All he has, but his greatest commandment is, in everything that you do, you've got to walk in love. You've got to walk in love. Because if you don't love people, you don't love God. Now, in your heart, you may love God, but you, let's just face it, sometimes you've been so wounded that you've got defense mechanisms up. And somebody pricks that old wound that's never gotten healed, and it hurts. I remember when my toe was broken. I've had a few other broken bones, and they stay tender for a long time. Somebody hits that, and you react. You react out of character, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, what did I do? I just barely bumped you. Yeah, but you bumped into a wound, and that wound hurts. So when you bump into that wound that hurts, that's not healed, you get an oversized reaction. That's why we're supposed to walk in love, be quick to forgive, be quick to pray for people. Because sometimes people react out of a past hurt, not a present wound. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.